Hello and welcome to Dr. <laughs> that was too much. Are the days of our 11. lives. That was 11. I got to pull it back. <laughs> Why are we so giggly? We haven't even drank yet. I know. We are completely sober. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Dr. Bean. My name is Heather. And I'm Kathleen. And this week, oh, maybe because words going to get really depressing. Yeah, okay. And this week we are heading back to Homicide for the Holidays, more specifically Season 2, Episode 8, Bloody New Year's. We covered a Christmas one last year on our Episode 29, so there's no need to really go over the background of the show. Although I will say I really, really am fond of the way they name the episodes. <laughs> kind of fucked good. up like when you're looking like okay we want it based on this holiday they make it very easy to figure out which holiday it is like thanks killing it's like okay <laughs> not to be dramatic it is on the oxygen network but since that's owned by nbc universal you can also watch it on the peacock app which i wish i had done last year because that oxygen app sucks so how was your christmas everything was like a lifetime movie and the kids got along great <laughs> husband surprised you with a brand new car and a trip to paris oh god i hope not <laughs> after our trip <laughs> we're recording this on the 17th <laughs> i think it comes out the 28th and i just spent like all of my life savings at disney and universal so like you know it's the happiest place on earth i don't know what the problem is well there will be no christmas <laughs> okay this is a short episode so let's just get into this bonkers story and i'm shocked i have never heard of this story had you heard of it no and you know honestly i feel like a lot of the like homicide for the holidays episodes i'm unfamiliar with i mean i don't know if it's i just don't pay too much attention to holiday crimes or <laughs> what it is maybe it didn't happen in the u.s so we don't pay attention i don't know uh the last two weeks we were in for the most part texas which is boring but put on your toboggan hat with the fluffiest yarn poof on top because this week we're going to Edmonton in beautiful Alberta, Canada. Ah, I'm sure they have snow. The gateway to the north. In 1892, Edmonton was incorporated as a town, 1904 as a city, and by the very next year in 1905, it became the capital of Alberta. I, just I don't know why I almost said yeehaw. <laughs> not Texas. Yeehaw, eh? I just thought it was crazy how quickly that happened, like, to go from the town to It'd the capital booming. of a province in 13 years. It be booming. Again, this is a short episode, so shut up. Also, technically, this doesn't happen on New Year's Day or Eve, so I feel like the producers thought, we don't have enough New Year's tragedies. This happens on the 29th. Just toss it in. Okay, so I thought that I also was doing an episode, and so I did the other New Year's episode, <laughs> which does actually happen on New Year's Eve. So if we need to stretch it, <laughs> or if we need to release two New Year's Eve episodes, I got I, you covered. I mean, <laughs> if you want, we can. I'm always terrible at it, but... <laughs> no, you're not. Anyway, uh, December 29th. 2014, the Lou family is just hanging out at home. Chris Hansen, did you notice the way he said Lou? <laughs> like, it's L-U-U, but he pronounces, like, both U's. <laughs> so you don't need to go that hard. It's well, it is Chris Hansen. Lou. 
it's that weird time between Christmas and New Year's where there's like nothing going on. And you're you done don't with know Christmas. what day it is. Yeah. And you're just like, fuck. Christmas is already exhausting. And then the year is ending. So you just want to hang out because you don't want to do anything too exciting. You got the new year about to start. You want to start the new year off right. I mean, frankly, are we really going to do anything really exciting for the new year anyway? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> That's because we're just tired all the time. We're old. Give us a break. <laughs> like even at work. I know I haven't worked for two and a half years, but I still remember that weird week where nothing happens and half the time that business would just close for the entire week. Okay, but then you always had that annoying asshole that would be like, bye, see you next year. I did it because I did it to be an asshole. (laughs) I did it sarcastically. Oh, I was always an old man for us. (laughs) (laughs) Because I would do that, oh, see you next year. (laughs) Okay, see, that's... Finger guns. That's funny. (laughs) So yeah, uh, this time of year was special for 41-year-old David Liu and his 37-year-old wife, Cindy Duong. They had been... Do you mean Liu? Liu. They had been together for 15 years, and they met on New Year's. Based on context clues, you could tell Cindy's dead. (laughs) (laughs) And if the cops in this show try to tell me they think David killed her, I'm going to be pissed. You can just tell by the way he talks about her, he's still very much in love with her. He has that sparkle in his eyes. You know, like our husbands used to have. I was about to say, you mean it's not like a dead glaze? (laughs) Every time you walk into a room. Or speak. (laughs) You don't even have to speak. They just have that like, oh shit. They met at his dad's store when they were setting up fireworks and she stopped by because she wanted to watch the fireworks. And even though he was normally a shy dude, he decided to talk to her. I don't know why, but yeah, it just sounds adorable. Soon after, they got married and eventually ended up with three adorable children. So that night, they're just hanging out at home. And you can tell she's a great mom because even though it's winter break from school, she's still making them do homework. We would just be like, just don't talk to us. Yeah, I don't care go in what your, you do. Go in your room. And just as don't long be as in I the same room you, yeah. as me. So, yeah. David goes up to the master bedroom and from there he can hear the doorbell ring. Their 12-year-old son answers the door with Cindy right behind him, which... Why are your children answering the door? Dude, mine do that all the time. Okay, but mine do that all the time. They don't answer the door, but they go to the door when someone rings the doorbell. And I'm like, why the fuck are you going near the door? I want them to think that we're not home. I'm dealing with the three-year-old right now. Like, if you hear the doorbell, shut up. Yeah. (laughs) If you hear the doorbell, you stay where you are. You don't go near the door. You're silent. But instead, my kids are, like, peeking out the window or, like, who's at the door? I'm like, shut your goddamn mouth. (laughs) As far as they're concerned, no one's home. Well, I just said something. Well, you're the home alone then. <laughs> the door is answered and the person at the door takes a step forward, says something, shoots Cindy, and then leaves. Which reminds me of that killer clown one. Mm-hmm. From upstairs, David hears a loud noise but just assumes something heavy fell because why would you think somebody just came in and shot? We haven't talked about the neighborhood yet, but shootings do not happen here. For him to just assume something fell, it's not sketchy at all. Yeah, I've, I mean, I'd be yelling, what happened? Yeah, what I've heard, fell? I've heard Edmonton has a high crime rate, but not this neighborhood. And by crime rate, I mean by Canadian standards. So not Texas. <laughs> I'm not even going to try and compare the crime rate to ours. And the has- houses in the Haddo neighborhood that they live in are gorgeous and expensive. Uh, anything in Canada is expensive. <laughs> Well, it's expensive for my standards. 
I found a condo for half the size of my house and it's still more than I spent on mine. I believe it. (laughs) That's all just to say that shootings don't happen here and it's not weird for David to just assume a dresser fell over. He runs downstairs to make sure nobody was crushed under it and instead finds his wife on the floor in front of the door with a gunshot wound to the head. Inspector Regan James is nearby when he gets the call about a shooting and shows up to the house to see a female on the ground and a male on the phone, which that's got to be like chaotic scene to arrive to because she's still alive on the floor bleeding out. And, and they have three kids. These three kids are like screaming, crying. Uh, David is there crying, trying to stop the bleeding. And nobody knows why or what really happened. Reagan eventually takes the kids to another part of the house because there's the fear of the shooter coming back. The paramedics arrive within minutes, but by then it's too late and Cindy has passed. David obviously has a really hard time talking about that. So if his pain isn't enough, he talks about how the son who answered the door is crying and taking the blame for his mother's death because he was the one who opened the door to this murderer without checking to see who was there first. He's 12. Yeah, (laughs) like like 12-year-olds do things all the time without thinking i mean plus who expects it to be a gunman yeah after getting him to calm down they have to interview him because unfortunately he's the best witness he says it was an older asian male who wore glasses and spoke vietnamese and asked to see their grandfather and when cindy came to the door he just shot her and then left in a dark colored sedan They still suspect David is maybe hiring this guy, which makes no sense when the shooter asked for the grandfather. And also, like, who shoots their child's mother in front of their child? Fuck that. So I hate when shows do the whole coming up, the police find something that tells them this person obviously didn't do it, and then comes back from the commercial break to talk about how they still suspect this person. Like, (laughs) you already spoiled it. We know they didn't do it, so now you're just wasting my time. I mean, I hate when they do coming up anyway, because I'm going to watch the episode. You don't have to fucking tell me. They find nothing in David's background that would make him a suspect, but because Cindy was shot execution style and possibly because they're Asian, I think is what they were hinting at. So they were racist, too. Yeah, they suspect it could be a gang style situation. (laughs) Because white people don't have gangs. It was, they didn't like, I don't think they outright said it, but it was like, I see what you're insinuating. (laughs) Those Asian gangs. (laughs) So the police put the family under protection, which this poor family. The kids see their mother get shot, and now they have to go into hiding because there's a chance the shooter could come back and kill all of them. And the one kid feels like his mom's murder is his fault. Yeah, that's some guilt to live with, yeah. (laughs) They were saying, well, yeah, it kind of is. No, it's it's not. No, it's not. No. While they're trying to figure out and find the suspect, they learn about another 911 call. FYI, the emergency number in Canada is also 911. Which I love. <laughs> they, but I also always think of that episode of IT Crowd when they oh changed the yeah. emergency <laughs> services number. <laughs> He's like, help, fire. <laughs> they receive the call for Cindy at 6.53 p.m. And at 8.28 p.m., they receive a welfare check for a potentially suicidal man in another neighborhood of Edmonton. The police showed up and didn't find anything wrong. They were kind of sketchy on They couldn't get into the house or something. Which, I mean, I guess, like, when you're doing a welfare check, you can't just bust in. But, but like, if you're told there's somebody there who's suicidal and has a gun. You would bust in. <laughs> 
I don't but know. I guess you have to have, have probable cause I, I, to bust in. I mean, I don't know the Canadian laws. No, no. I don't know the U.S. laws, really. Uh, so they showed up, didn't find anything wrong, and a few hours later they receive another call about the same house from a woman worried because she hadn't been able to get in contact with any of her family members at the home. So they somehow get permission to look into the home because of that. I'm from not sure. a neighbor? Or I don't, like... I don't they get a, a warrant. I don't know I don't how that know. works. I, I just know they were able to get permission to bust in. The police return to the home of Fulam and it's just a massacre. They find the bodies of Fulam's second wife, 35-year-old Tian Trong, her 8-year-old son, Elvis Lam, Tian's father, 55-year-old Van Dang Trong, her mother, 55-year-old Thai Dao Li, her sister, 33-year-old Ha Trong, her niece, three-year-old Valentina Nguyen, and her friend, 41-year-old Viet Nguyen. Later on, they mentioned that Viet may have been in a relationship with Tian. That's a lot of fucking people. That's a lot of people. There is a set of footprints outside of the home in snow that had an obvious spot of blood in it. (laughs) I don't know how they didn't notice it that first time when they were there. They looked outside because they had to see, like, can we, we can't go in the house. Is there anything we could see from the outside? And yet... They didn't notice that. I guess weren't looking at footprints. <laughs> Even though it's snow, like it's very noticeable. I, I don't know. You would think red against white. Maybe they thought it was ketchup. <laughs> you know, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. It's Canada. It's the holiday you, season. They people don't expect eating. dead people. Yeah. Like, oh, that's ketchup. But if you're told, hey, there's a suicidal individual here, you'd think you would notice like, oh, there's blood from... A footprint coming out of a house but i don't know or someone stepped on a ketchup packet <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> and it was tracked along sergeant patrick mccormick is at the second scene and calls inspector regan james who i guess is above him i don't know how that works i don't know the hierarchy of i would think inspector Canadian would be below sergeant i don't know and he just lets him know that he's at the scene with multiple vietnamese shooting victims and james responds that's weird. I, too, am at a scene with a Vietnamese shooting victim. But I only have one. <laughs> you win. I don't want to go into as much detail as they did about this second crime scene. Because so it'd be graphic. I will just say it was bloody. And in case you forgot that this occurred in Canada, McCormick mentions that one of the bullet holes was toonie-sized. Did you catch that? <laughs> I do, do love the... Uh... <laughs> Tooney being slang for the Canadian $2 coin. It's just classy. So it's, it's a lovely nickname. <laughs> the loony and a toony. Canada does not have shootings like this. If you look at the list of spree shootings in Canada on Wikipedia, it's a list of 15. Can you imagine? That's only like one page. <laughs> not even. That's only like one week here. I mean, the United States, you have to like expand list. <laughs> Go by year and then by date. And then by state. <laughs> so because they have eight victims, one from the first scene and seven from the second scene, they decide to go ahead and call the chief. I, I would think that's a good idea. <laughs> because they don't know when this shooting occurred, they have to check all the bodies to make sure none of them are the shooter. You know, glance around, see if any of them have a gun nearby. They also figure out, based on drag marks, that three of the victims were shot as they walked into the house, which, that's so scary. 
Yeah, what a nice welcome. So whoever did this took their time waiting for people to come home. That's so just creepy. Ugh, which makes me think of all the family murders. Yeah. They were initially called to the home because of a suicidal man by the name of Fu Lam, and he's not here among the bodies. And guess who owns a dark colored sedan that is missing from the driveway? Fu Lam's wife. And since she's unfortunately among the dead, I think we have our suspect. She probably didn't take it out for a spin. <laughs> and let me tell you, Fu Lam is a fucking peach. He had a criminal record dating back to 1987, including drug and violence-related offenses. At this time, he was in bankruptcy proceedings and owed a large amount of money on at least a dozen credit cards due to a gambling addiction. Oof. A dozen credit cards. That is extensive. Yeah. I think I read that he was in $424,000 in debt and looking at... It was quite a day. Looking at exchange rates for that time, and I hope my math was correct, it would have been about $364,000 in U.S. dollars. That's a fucking house. <laughs> That's more than a house. I mean, did they include his house? <laughs> so, yeah, shit ton of money. He had been arrested twice in Edmonton alone for sexual and domestic assault. Oof, that's not good. So, two years previously, in November 2012, a complaint was filed against him after he threatened to kill his wife, Tian, and her family upon learning that Elvis was not his son. A few months later, the protection order she was granted like, had expired. I know expired. the kid's name is Elvis, but, like, also, I thought you were going to say, upon learning that Elvis was not actually still alive. <laughs> what? Okay. Sorry. <laughs> distracted me. A few months later, the protective order she was granted had expired. Hearing that happening in an abusive relationship isn't surprising, especially when he was the one who sponsored her and her family to live in Canada when they moved from Vietnam. So she might have felt like she owed him. Not sure. Just speculation. So luckily for police, a neighbor that they interviewed knows the license plate of the missing car because it was a vanity plate of Tian's son's name. And it was, I think it was... E-L-V-1-S-T-T. I told my kid that I was going to get a vanity plate with her name, and she told me that she would never look at me again, so. (laughs) (laughs) Why? She was like, it wouldn't even fit. I was like, I won't make it fit. (laughs) So yeah, Fu was a violent guy already who was in severe debt. Sonny thought it was his, isn't, and now his wife is beginning the new year with a new fella and wants him out of the house. The only thing the police can't figure out is the connection to Cindy Duong. They even asked David if he recognizes the name or picture of Fu, and he has no idea who this man is. They're all Vietnamese, but they don't run in the same circles. Right, despite the misconception, they don't all know each other. Yeah, but you know, you think you would, since they're all in gangs. God. Asian gangs. They start tracing Fu's cell phone and are getting pings in Fort Saskatchewan which is a city northeast of Edmonton, and not in Saskatchewan. It's also in Alberta. What a liar. (laughs) You're a bunch of liars. Let's just go to Canada. (laughs) I'm going to do it. And I may stay there because I really have to tell them how much they're a liar (laughs) for years. While also getting free health care. Exactly. They find the missing car in front of a Chinese-Vietnamese restaurant with no frost on it, so they know it's been recently driven. Why would he just be hanging out at the restaurant in the middle of the night? The owner, his former common-law wife, had given him a key so that he could do maintenance work in the kitchen. What are you going to (laughs) say? I was going to say, 
I bet he's not doing any maintenance work. (laughs) It's going to be like the bath school explosion. Oh, God, what a disaster. (laughs) Literally. After not being able to make contact with Fu inside the restaurant, Chris Hansen, the narrator, lets us know that the police are serious and call in the SWAT team. I didn't think that sounded right, so I looked it up, and in Edmonton, they have what they call the tactical section. I get that it's the same thing, but let's show some respect for the regional phrases. After about six hours of not being able to get any response from inside the restaurant, they decide to enter. McCormick says they breached the glass, and the reenactment shows them just opening a door and walking in. But I found an article with pictures, and they drove a car into that building. Oh my god! (laughs) I guess technically breaching the glass? None of those stories add up. So again, Canada's a liar. (laughs) I just like them opening the door, like, oh, why didn't we do this six hours ago? Why do you have to drive a car through it? Couldn't you just, like, smash it and go in, (laughs) like fucking car this isn't a 7-eleven like you don't have to do a smash and grab so regardless upon entering the building they find fu lam deceased from a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head or they ran him over (laughs) no (laughs) but all i could think is what a piece of shit he killed one wife that he abused for years and then went to another's wife business to kill himself so now she can't, like, open that restaurant for a while. No, because she didn't have any front glass things. <laughs> Tactical <laughs> and, section. And the dead body. And the, the dead crime body. scene. And the dead man. Not to mention killing another woman that we still don't know the connection to. They do verify that the gun he has is connected to the eight murders. A part they never brought up that not only that, it was a gun that had been reported stolen in 2006 in a city 12 hours away from Edmonton How in Surrey. How the fuck did she get it? Was it like, I had to search for that information. They didn't even mention that. Did he in get the it show. off the streets? Did he buy an illegal gun off the streets? I don't know. It was hot. He it was hot reported gun. stolen. So, but just twelve hours away. <laughs> the timeline that they established is that early in the morning, Fu had shot Tian, Elvis, Ha, and Valentina. Fu then takes Tian's cell phone and invites her parents over. Which, what the fuck? Thinking their daughter wants to see them, they show up at the house where they are murdered as they enter. Viet is also lured to the house and shot in the garage. He then takes his infant daughter and another toddler over to his, his adult daughter's home. That's right. There were two additional kids in the house when these seven people were murdered. Ugh. No idea why he spared these two kids. Yeah, it's just, I mean, he killed a three-year-old. I don't yeah. know why, where, like, where do you draw the line? He then drives over to Cindy Duong's house and kills her before he drives to the restaurant to kill himself. The only connection with Cindy they could find is that her father was once friends with Fu, and several years before, they had some sort of falling out. That's it. <laughs> Completely unnecessary. So, yeah, what an absolute piece of shit. Happy New Year! Woo! <laughs> Should have had a popper ready. Yeah. <laughs> Wake up the three-year-old. It'd be perfect. Totally worth it. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> so, really, thanks for listening to us squawk this year. We've both had a pretty shitty year, so seeing the download numbers pumping has really helped us get through it. So, as long as our kids don't get constantly sick, we should be more consistent with episodes next year. 
I can only have one dead dad, so we should be good on that front. And I was going to say I can only have shingles once, but apparently I can also <laughs> have him twice. So, <laughs> so yeah, it's that's how we grieve and deal with things. So thank you very much. Yes, it's been a fantastic year for the most part with crime. <laughs> Again, I, I, don't I have know. a dead dad. <laughs> yeah, I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> I mean, I killed it at the funeral. I will say that. My eulogy was pretty good. Yes, that was a bomb-ass speech. Um, When I say it's been a good year, I mean for our podcast. (laughs) And that only. (laughs) Nothing else. So, thank you for listening. We will be back next week. With maybe something uplifting. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. Who knows? Maybe recommend something so that we can stop bringing in all these downers. <laughs> God, do your job. I mean, I appreciated the toonie line, though. <laughs> oh, loonies and toonies. <laughs> all right, goodbye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Talk to Me. The opening music is by Twisterium. For comments or suggestions, we can be reached by email at doctomepod at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at DoctomyPod and find a link to our Facebook group in the show notes. Thank you.